Song of Solomon chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. We're going to involve several other verses of Scripture from Song of Solomon 1 in the message. But it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Song of Solomon has been called a mystery book. And if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, you understand that it is indeed a mystery book. Somebody said very few people have an understanding of the Song of Solomon. And I don't profess to have an understanding fully of the Song of Solomon, but I decided to put together a series of messages. They also said this, Song of Solomon is generally understood to be a sort of drama, positive interpretation of which is impossible because many times the identity of the speaker is not given and how long they're speaking is not given. You don't know where their speech begins and where it ends. And so as you read the Song of Solomon, there tends to be a bit of confusion. Young Jewish boys were not allowed to read the Song of Solomon until they were 18 years of age because of the content of the book of the Song of Solomon. It actually speaks of the beauty of marital love. And there's three, as I see, main characters in this book. There's the Shulamite woman, there's her shepherd whom she loves, and there's Solomon. We're going to see, we're going to present it from that standpoint as we look at this book this morning. One accepted view of the Song of Solomon is that it pictures God's love for his people. And I think by application we would say that the Song of Solomon pictures Christ's love for his churches and by the same token, the love that we as his churches ought to have for him. So, where we're going to approach this, in the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Lord uses the relationship of the husband and wife to illustrate the relationship between Jesus and his churches. He says, as Christ loved the church, husbands are to love their wives. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And he goes on to use this illustration. Well, we're going to take the Song of Solomon and see how the Shulamite woman feels about her shepherd that she loves, how the shepherd feels about her. We're going to take Ephesians 5 and look at what the Lord said about how he feels about his churches and how his churches should feel about him. And what we're going to do for the next several weeks as we look at Song of Solomon is we're going to see how Jesus feels about his churches and how we as members of one of his churches ought to feel about him. I'm just going to tell you right off, and we'll probably cover this in just a moment. We're not the bride of Christ yet. All right? We're engaged. Isn't that what the scripture says? Over in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Look at the first four verses. He said, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I've espoused you. That's engaged. See, we've got a couple that's espoused to one another right now. They're not husband and wife yet. In less than a month, they're going to be. It's just a few weeks. 
But he says, I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste or a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through its subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom he have not preached, or if you receive another spirit whom you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. And so the Apostle Paul writing to that church at Corinth just says, you're not the bride of Christ yet, but you're engaged. And so the Lord again has used this example or this comparison of the Lord and his churches. Now I'm going to tell you this also, and you can disagree with me on this if you want to. My personal belief, I believe I can bear it out by scripture. My personal belief is not every saved person is going to be in the bride of Christ. Not only that, I don't believe every church member is going to be in the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is a special group of believers who have loved the Lord, who have stayed faithful to him, who have held true to his word and have not departed from the faith. And so I just believe that the bride of Christ, there's going to be people, the other people who are saved are going to be there, are going to be guests at the wedding. But that bride is going to be a very special group of believers. So that's the way we're going to look at these verses this morning and at this Song of Solomon. And again, we're going to see how we ought to feel about the Lord and how he feels about us. The first thing to notice is her adoration the Shulamite woman's adoration of her shepherd lover or her shepherd husband. You look at verse 2. She says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now, get the beauty in this arrangement. The husband and the wife relationship, the man and the woman relationship. Because what did God tell Eve in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, verse 16? Well, it just says this. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And listen, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, that's what God told Eve. The wife is going to love her husband. The wife is to desire her husband. But listen to what the Lord tells husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Again, get the beauty in this. God said to the woman, you're going to desire your husband. You're going to have love for your husband. And God said to the man in Ephesians 5, through the Holy Spirit and through Paul's writing, now men, your wife's going to love you. You love her, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I heard a wonderful sermon just yesterday before all of this happened. I heard a wonderful sermon and the preacher was saying this, how many of us men really give ourselves to our wives. Give up ourselves for our wives. I'm not picking on this young couple that's about to get married, but oftentimes what I see is a young man gets married, and so many young men when they get married, they don't want a wife, they want a surrogate mother. They want somebody to take care of them. That's not giving yourself for your wife. You know, sometimes we may have to, as men and as husbands, give up some things for the benefit and for the blessing of our wife. And so he says, husbands, love your wives. And you know what this love is? This is that agape, self-sacrificing love. And I see so many young men today that are not willing to have that self-sacrificing love for their wives and for their families. And so here's this relationship in the husband and wife in this Shulamite woman and her shepherd that she's going to love you, you love her. Now see, as members of one of the Lord's churches, Here's what it's teaching us. Here's what it's telling us. We should value and desire the love of Jesus Christ 
and the approval of Jesus Christ more than the approval of the world. Amen. Well, I want the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, rather than hearing the world say, well done. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. What is a kiss? Now, that's a wide open question, I know. But what is a kiss? It is an expression of love. Every morning when Joni heads off to work, we have a little kiss to send her off to work. But it's an expression of admiration, an expression of love. Now, I'm going to ask a question and you ladies can answer. And the question is this, do you like to hear your husband say, I love you? You like to hear that, don't you? My wife likes to hear that. And so the Lord wants to express his love for us. In Jude, the 21st verse, Jude tells us this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, note what it does not say. He does not say, keep God loving you. I tell you what, God's going to love you regardless. God loves all people. And it does not say, keep on loving God. What Jude says is, keep yourselves in the love of God. We know that that word in has the idea of in the sphere of, like a dot in the center of a circle. And what he's saying is this, he said, you keep yourself where God can show his love for you. The scripture teaches us that God wants to bless his children. God wants good things for his children. Sometimes we negate that just because we get outside of that sphere where God can show all of the love that he has for us. I'll give you an example. The uh, prodigal son. We all know about the prodigal son, don't we? This young man went to his daddy and basically what he said to his daddy was, I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. Give it to me now. In some senses, some say he was saying to his daddy, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me what's coming to me. Well, he got his inheritance. He went into a far land, far country. And what did he do? He wasted all of his money. Now he's far from home. Daddy still loves him. We know that because when this boy came home, what happened? Daddy met him with a gold ring and the, the party and the robe and all of that. So daddy still loved his son, but his son was in a position where daddy didn't know where he was. They didn't have internet. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have, you know, all of the things that we have today. They didn't even have Pony Express, you know. And daddy could not show his love for his son no matter how much he loved him. And sometimes God's people in the Lord's churches get to a point where God just can't show all of the love that he has for us. And so the Word of God says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself where God can show how much He loves you. We're to desire as God's people and we're to desire as one of the Lord's churches God's expressions of love for us. And do you know sometimes that means even His chastisement? I didn't learn this as a child. I learned it as a parent when Dad would thank us and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I was trying to figure out how when I was young. But I know how. You know, every time I had, and I did, chasing children growing up, and it broke my heart every time I had to. It was not enjoyable. It was not something that I liked. So, first of all, she values his affection and his love. She values his name because you look at verse 3. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. And then she says, therefore do the virgins love thee. Have you ever seen somebody in love? like to watch these little teenage girls and teenage boys that are in love. And just every time she hears his name, she giggles or she gets a smile or, you know, gets all ooey-gooey, lovey type, you know, or maybe the guy does, whatever. 
but the name just draws some kind of a image in their minds and they think of this one that they love. And so again, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Most of the time in marriage, what happens? Most of the time, the wife will take the husband's last name, right? Why? Because she's identifying with him. She's saying, in effect, I'm his, I belong to him, but it reveals her desire to be associated with him. Again, she's not ashamed of his name. Well, listen, the name of Jesus ought to bring joy to his churches. We should not be ashamed to be called a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be thankful to be one of the Lord's churches and that he has blessed us. The name of Jesus is a precious name. The name of Jesus is a joyous name. Matthew 1, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Philippians tells us that God has given him a name which is above every name that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We ought to be happy to have the name of Jesus not just as a church but individually folks. Now I've told you I don't tell people I'm a Christian. The world's going to decide that but I don't mind telling them I'm a child of God. I'm doing my best to live the way the Lord wants me to live and that's what I'm trying to do. To wear his name identifies us with him. Acts chapter 20 verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Interesting, yesterday one of the firemen walked up to me and he was getting information and I gave him my name and phone number and he said, Now who owns the building, the organization? I said, Bethel owns the building. He said, well, usually uh, some organization owns the building. I said, we're the organization. But God owns the church. Amen. Jesus Christ owns the church. We fellowship with other churches and associated work sometimes, but we don't belong to any association. They don't own us. They don't tell us what to do. The head of this church is Jesus Christ, folks. Amen. And it will always be that way, at least as long as I'm here. <laughs> and I think it'll be that way at other times also. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that we should not deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And she desires to follow him. You look at verse 4. Draw me, we will run after thee, she says. And so the idea is that she wants to follow her shepherd that she loves so much. Well, you go over to the fifth chapter of Ephesians again. And you look at verse 22. What does it say there? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now what did Genesis 3.16 say? Your desire shall be to your husband. What does Ephesians 5.25 say? Husband, you've got to love your wives. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. And so, again, this speaks of an orderly arrangement, not servitude. You know, that God has an order for the home. It's the husband, the head, the wife, and then the children. But who is really the head of the home? Christ is the head of the home just as Christ is head of the church. The head of every home ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, just as the head gives direction, by the way, what kind of head, what kind of leader is Jesus to this church? Loving? He's a loving leader, and that's the way husbands ought to be to their families, ought to be toward their wives. And that's the way he leads this church, and he loves this church, and just as the head, the physical head, gives direction to the body, what should the head of the home do? Give direction to the home. What does the head of the church want to do? Give direction to the church. We ought to listen to his direction and to his instruction. Obedience is evidence of our love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, first of all, we saw 
her adoration of him, and next we see her attractiveness to him. Now this is an interesting verse in verse 5. She says, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Apparently, as she says this, she's considering, now you understand why she's saying I'm black. You read on and what does she say? She says, my mother's daughters made me keep her the vineyard. She said, I had to work out in the sun. When we were in Israel, they told us that down around Jericho, especially 110 degrees in the shade, it'll get so hot in the summertime there that people get very, very dark just from the sun. And so, you know, these days, what do we say? Man, tan is the plan, right? Everybody wants to go out and get a tan. Well, she says, I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. And she explains it in verse 6. Well, again, she said, Mine own vineyard have I not kept. I've been so busy taking care of other things that I have not taken care and taken time for myself. Kedar is a reference to the Bedouin tribe, the descendants of Ishmael. They, they dwelt in the heat and so forth. But she considers herself unattractive. But you keep reading, there's a certain beauty to her. I am black, but comely. That word comely means beautiful, lovely, pleasant. Have you ever noticed the attractiveness of marital love? By that I mean, have you ever looked at a couple and thought, Boy, I wonder how he got her. <laughs> what did Joni see in Brother Jim that attracted her to him? But those two people who are in love, to them, the other person is the most beautiful person in the world. And there is that attractiveness. Not everybody has a Hollywood type of beauty, folks. But everybody can have a beauty of heart. They can have a beauty of their life. And that's what the shepherd is seeing in his Shulamite bride. Now I'm going to tell you this, the Lord's churches are not really attractive to the world, okay? I mean, true churches are not really attractive to the world. They deny our message. You know, I would love to tell people, and we try to, and we try to witness of the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, and many times people don't want to hear it. They despise our methods. They would decline our master. We present Jesus to them. They say, no, thank you, I'll wait, or something like that. But what did Jesus call his churches in the book of Matthew, chapter 5? He said, you're the salt of the earth. Now think about what salt does. Salt preserves, right? Salt creates thirst, and that's what we ought to be doing as God's people. We ought to be creating thirst for Jesus in this world. But salt also irritates. You ever gotten salt in a cut? Mm -hmm. Salt irritates. It doesn't feel good. We're not beautiful to the world, but I tell you what, to our Lord, we're beautiful. Just like this Shulamite woman is beautiful to her shepherd, we're beautiful to the Lord. Now, here's how the world feels about us and true churches, and it's seen in Revelation chapter 11, because you know what's happening in Revelation 11. The two witnesses have come. They've really been a thorn in the side of the world for short time, and then their dead bodies are laying in the streets of Jerusalem. Now, years ago, people wondered how you'd be able to see somebody dead laying in the streets of Jerusalem, but we don't even worry about that now, do we? Remember when we invaded Iraq, and there were embedded press people in with those troops that went into Iraq, and you could just see from satellite phones what was happening almost as it happened over in Iraq, halfway around the world. So it's not going to be any trick to see these two dead witnesses 
laying in the streets of Jerusalem. And what does the world do? You look at verse 10, it says, And they that dwell upon the earth rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on earth. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be Christmas time all over again when God's prophets are killed there and their dead bodies are lying in the streets of Jerusalem. The world's going to say, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. I tell you what, the world's going to rejoice when we're out of here. Jesus is coming back and we're going to be caught up and go and be with him and the world's going to rejoice and we'll be in the presence of the Lord. But again, the Lord sees the attractiveness of his churches. Look at verse 9. Now, men, you're probably not going to be wise to compare your wife to horses. Okay? But he says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. I would avoid that. But this shepherd compares his Shulamite to these horses. And then he goes on to say this in verse 15. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Thou hast dove eyes. Now, you may be able to get away with that, telling your wife she has dove's eyes. But you see the, the shepherd's expressing his love and his, uh, the beauty of his Shulamite bride. Back over in Ephesians 5, I said we're working back and forth between Song of Solomon and the book of Ephesians, especially the fifth chapter back over in Ephesians 5. Look at what it says. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. But look at verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The Lord wants a beautiful church, a clean church, a morally pure church, and a doctrinally pure church. That's what he wants in his churches. A New Testament church that is morally pure and doctrinally pure is beautiful to Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he desires for us. And that's one of the reasons I said what I did Wednesday night about standing for this truth and standing for this faith. He wants us to be without blemish before him. And then, I want you to see right quickly, and we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly here, her attitude toward him. How should we as one of the Lord's churches and individual saved members of that church, how should we feel about our Lord? Well, look at verse 16. Behold, thou art fair, my love, my beloved, yea, pleasant, also our bed is green. What she's saying to her shepherd is, you're so handsome. He's just told her, he says, you're beautiful. You look like one of the horses in Pharaoh's chariots and you have dove's eyes and, and you're just beautiful. And she said, well, you're handsome. That sort of sounds like a couple that's in love, doesn't it? And she's complimenting him and he's complimenting her. And the idea of being pleasant is that she finds satisfaction in him, in her, her shepherd that she loves so much. You look at verse 17, the beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. Cedar and fir, and I include cypress in that because I pastored the church that had a cypress tree right out front one time and just certain times of the year that was just a beautiful aroma. But cedar and fir, some of the most aromatic trees that I can think of, or I think that anyone could think of in this world. And he says, that's the beams of our house. If you read the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, and we'll get to this on Wednesday nights, 
the faithfulness and the service of the church at Philippi is called in the word of God an odor of a sweet smell. Philippians 4.18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, just like the Philippians did, we're to follow the example of the Lord Jesus because listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus offered up himself. Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, took on human form, walked among men, lived among men, and then willingly went to the cross and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin that we might have everlasting life. That's what Jesus has done for us. We ought to be willing to serve him faithfully and by the way, serve others as well. And the name of Jesus ought to be precious on our lips. Never use God's name or the name of Jesus Christ in vain, uselessly. Remember, it is a holy and precious name. We should want to follow him, certainly. We should desire to follow his example. We should see the beauty and the sweet-smelling savor of faithfulness to him. But we should see him as we think about him through the Father's eyes. And what did God say about him? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what God said. And that ought to be our attitude and our thinking as we think about the name of Jesus. When we consider these verses, we consider Ephesians chapter five, and we see how much Jesus loves this church. I mean, how much did Jesus love this church? this much. He went to the cross and died that this church might be in existence and that every true church might be in existence today and that you and I might be saved. And when we see that, how can we be neutral? How can we be uncaring toward this church? How can somebody say, and people are saying this today, oh, I love Jesus. But now the church, you know, I can take it or leave it. This preacher that I listened to yesterday pointed out that we are losing today 80% of our young people in the Lord's churches. We're not losing them to other denominations. We're losing them to the world. And here's why. Now, I hadn't intended to share this, but I'm going to share it. Here's why. Because here's what they say. I went to church. I did everything. I saw everything at church. And I saw the way people acted at church. And then I went home. And I watched mom and dad at home. And I figured out that church is just an act. And that's what a lot of young people are saying today when they just turn their backs on the Lord and His churches. We've got to be just as real at home and love the Lord just as much at home and love the church just as much at home as we say we do when we're here. But how in the world could we just be neutral or, or say, I can take it or leave it? How can we forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is when the whole purpose of our coming together is to worship God? How do we worship God? Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. That's how we worship God. And Jesus loves His churches. Don't ever forget that. You say, but we had a fire yesterday. Okay, those things happen. <laughs> all right? Those things happen. That's just a part of living in this world. But again, thank God for the way he took care of Scotty and thank God for the way he took care of this building right here. I mean, this isn't the church. That's just the house where we meet. This is the church, all right? And God took care of this building 
and he's taking care of us and if we know how much Jesus loves this church and all of his churches I pray that we as members of this church would have such a great love that he has for this church and for him and that we'd say this I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants me to do I'm going to live for him I'm going to serve him I'm just going to be obedient and faithful to him the name of Jesus is above every name and it ought to be special to us.